Well, welcome in to episode 25 of Free Rambling Men, a country music podcast. It has been another minute and Stuart, you can blame me, right? You can blame me for last Saturday's recording that was recorded, to be fair. Most of it was recorded, but that's not even the reason a podcast didn't happen last week. We tried to record a podcast last week over the course of a couple of hours. We were recording in... I wouldn't say real time because we were watching it back on demand to the ACM awards. But in the end, we just thought, what was the point? So we decided to like save you some time and just not put one out last week. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, the ACM awards, Sturdy, we should probably wrap those up right now. In a nutshell, what do you think? Um, I mean, I watched it in real time to cover it for work. But I had one eye on the TV, one eye on my phone because I was doing it for social media. It started at like 1am, finished at like 3, half 3. So factor in the tiredness, I thought it was good. But then whenever I watched it back with you, I thought it was a bit of a pantomime. I mean, it got going about half an hour in, but certainly the start of it was a bit like a Kiss concert. I was going to say it took a good half half an hour maybe for us to see or hear some form of country music, right? That first half hour was just like, I don't know, like a rock song from Hardy's, you know, half country, half rock album at a country music award ceremony. And then there were just, you know, Keith Urban just jamming on a guitar. And also that was a bit of a farce as well, right? Cole Swindell winning all those, all those awards for that song. She had made Heads Carolina and I'm sitting here going, they changed the verses. It's like, are you kidding me? There were better songs that from this past year. I think the problem is it says best song or best single, but really it should be most popular song, most popular single. Exactly, exactly. And of course, Stuart, uh, just to rehash my, I don't know, gripe, can we stop dividing duos and groups into two separate awards? I know you said to me, Stuart, at one point last week that there are you know little enough awards maybe, but mm. I'm sure I could think of a more prestigious award than to constantly recognize Maddie and Tay needlessly. So new male artist of the year, your mate, Zach Bryan. Mm -hmm. That was before the this, ceremony, right? Yep. This is the point when he now goes from authentic singer-songwriter, standing on top of a mountain, bitching about how the industry won't respect him, to country girl, shake it for me. <laughs> uh, Just while we're on Zach Bryan, it was very funny seeing him. Because, you know, we're sitting here kind of going, oh, Zach Bryan doesn't sell out, doesn't sell out. And then did he kind of sell out by turning up? I don't know. I'm just saying. Well, it popped into my head as I left you on Saturday and I was driving somewhere and I voice messaged you and I said like uh, numerous times while people are standing up to go and collect their award, there's Zach Bryan smiling ear to ear, clapping his wee hands off. And you're going, this is the guy that's going like screw ticket master. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And like also, but I should place that in context. I don't necessarily think he's selling out, but I'm just saying with all of the context that we know so far from Zach Bryan's career, is he selling out? But it also seemed like a missed opportunity based upon how good he is. Sorry, you've converted me. And his wide reach. And it's a completely different audience to have him in the crowd and not even as a winner on stage performing. How long did it take me into that ceremony to find something slowed down and actually kind of melancholy and three chords in the truth-esque? Give me some Zach Bryan. Get him on the stage. Would have been great. Anyway, new female artist of the year, Haley Witters, which was great to see. Phenomenal. And by the way, her performance was class. She did. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> three clap. Visual media of the year, Hardy featuring Lainey Wilson, Wait in the Truck. Hardy also scooped one for artist slash songwriter of the year. I'm on a roll here. Song of the year, as you say, Cole Swindell. She had me at Heads Carolina. 
Duo of the Year, Brothers Osborne, Group of the Year, Old Dominion, Single of the Year, Cole Swindell, She Had Me at Ed's Carolina, Music Event of the Year, Hardy featuring Lainey Wilson, Wait in the Truck, Lainey picked up Female Artist of the Year and Album of the Year for Bell Bottom Country, Male Artist of the Year, Morgan Wallen, just a shame that he wasn't there to collect the award, and the big one, Entertainer of the Year, a man who... um stands in a stadium under one spotlight not moving chris stapleton doesn't need to because he's got the greatest voice there's ever been um pity that uh yeah you said pity that morgan couldn't accept his award she wouldn't have been able to speak anyway to to, to physically accept it he would have just had to walk up on stage give everybody a wave he's on vocal rest man well it was interesting to see garth back him up going hey calm down everybody you know you can only imagine the misery the man's going through he wins the big award and he can't even be here to accept it well, anyway, we'll move past the ACMs. That was the ACMs. That was what was going to be, uh, well, an episode's worth of commentary last week. Aren't you glad that we didn't do that? <laughs> do you not think that, like, based upon some of Morgan Wallen's actions that have almost killed his career, the best thing would be just when he's not on stage performing or recording, just for him to permanently lose his voice so he can't speak? <laughs> <laughs> little off switch, huh? little remote control, Morgan. <laughs> Wouldn't that be something? It would probably it would save the man a lot of hassle, to be fair. But, you know, I don't think... I'll just say this. Every sin and every misstep hasn't done him too much bad so far. Dot, dot, dot. Not at all. In fact, I'm tempted to blurt out a racial slur during okay. one of these podcasts. Okay, okay. okay. <laughs> Moving swiftly on, then. That's the ACMs wrapped up, Stuarty. Um, As I say, it's been a minute. So what else has been going on? Well... There's been a, a little bit of new music and, you know, we were talking about the podcast and talking about the format of the podcast. And I was very much of the opinion to you that, because God love you, you're more busy in real life than I am, <laughs> but you're probably not getting the opportunity to listen to as much music as I have been recently. But with that said, a couple of albums came out, one in particular that I was really, really passionate about, the new one from Parker McCollum, Never Enough. It came out last Friday. So it'll be the Friday before, by the time you're probably hearing this. And I kind of wanted to talk about it before we moved on. So, and get back to the music, you know, get back to, because ultimately nothing else matters, right? Eric Church, you can stick your whiskey, $200 bottle, whatever you're selling. I don't care. We're talking about music here. And Parker McCollum's album, Never Enough, is a work of art. Sturdy. Wow. Have you given it any listen whatsoever yet? This is an insight to those listening who aren't involved in the machine. So, Obviously, you've been quite vocal in being a fan. I'm more of a radio single guy. And yet, so I have an interview this week with Parker. So I'm going to now have to go out of my way to listen to his album, whereas you actually have listened to it for pleasure. I am incredibly jealous of this, of course. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm rather certain I could get an interview with Parker if I had the platform to air an interview with Parker at present. But uh, hey, Would you do me a favor and write down some questions, maybe? (laughs) What was the last interview you did? It was like with Hardy or something and you stole my line about science. It was a science over you. It was like you just lifted, you know, my favorite song ever of Hardy and just blurted it out. (laughs) Like almost word for word from what I said in the podcast or something one time. It was like a song that I'd never heard in my life. And I reworded it like, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's so much momentum and you're like, you're racking up the hits. But I want to go back to a deep cut. (laughs) Yeah, guys. Never heard the song in my life. Anyway. Well, maybe you can steal a little bit more information right about now. Uh, I'm not going to talk at any, 
you know, wild length here about this necessarily either. But um, I just wanted to kind of have a look through the track list and, and talk you through some of the songs. Uh, it opens with a couple of sort of pacier numbers in Hurricane and Best I Never Had. But see that third song, surely uh, it's called Things I Never Told You. And it's the first of two real piano ballads on the album. And I mean, you, if I say the title Things I Never Told You, you can kind of imagine that it's going to be a, a song maybe about... Well, looking toward maybe a parent that's passed or a parent figure that's passed and things being at the, you know, top of your, you know, your list that you never said to them. And uh, there are classic yeah. country themes in here, no doubt about it, of course, of mm. course, but it's it's the delivery of it, both, you know, musically. So I say it's kind of this like little somber piano vibe, right? But there are lyrics in here, you know, like uh, I had a Playboy stashed in a Johnny Cash LP sleeve in my room. That's a good hiding place. <laughs> you know, and stuff that Parker, uh, I read in an interview, could relate to himself. You know, I kept a well-hid can of skull in the console of my Chevy. Uh, stuff like that. And then, you know, it kind of builds the whole, each chorus and ends with thank yous at the top of my list uh, of things I never told you. And it's it's just a really pretty song. It really is. And Parker's got a lovely vocal on it. But anyway, that's the first one that I wanted to kind of shout out on Parker's album, Never Enough. Um, burn It Down. Yeah, a bit of a banger. Stone was already out. Handle on You was already out. Lessons from an Old Man. It's one of the songs currently not as well listened to and not as well streamed, but it is class. I mean, again, Stuarty, with these titles, you can probably figure out what this song is about, right? Lessons from an Old Man and a Young Man Wise is the way the, the song goes. Uh, there's another one, kind of nice, nice little one-two punch there. Lessons from an Old Man and then Tough People Do. And then you've got Speed and Tales I Lose and I Ain't Going Nowhere, three other songs that were already released from the album. Then it goes on to uh, a song called Too Tight This Time, right, which is quite possibly the most unusual sounding song uh, on the album, which has always been a trait of Parker's, in my opinion, right? You sort of have heard Parker and heard the mainstream success, right, the the kind of the hit singles or whatever, of which he's getting more and more, and this is class, by the way, but I just hope that people listen to that and genuinely do dive into the back catalogue because the back catalogue features so many sounds it's almost like pure Texas country. It's just not what you would have what you would hear if you're familiar with country radio. Um, and so I talk about this trait, and that trait kind of makes its way back in here and too tight this time. The first time I heard that, I was going, "Wow, this is unlike anything I've heard recently." And you know, on a hot country playlist on Spotify or you know, country radio in the states or whatever, it was really refreshing. So I would also point you in the direction of too tight this time. Just again, musically, I mean, that's the first thing that strikes you with with a song, right? It's not necessarily the lyrics right away. It is usually the music because you're you're hearing instrumentation off the bat. Um, don't blame me. Don't blame me for skipping past it. Anyway, <laughs> <laughs> right to the penultimate song and have your heart again. And this Stuart is probably to me my favorite song on the album, the second of the two piano ballads. And again, I'm gonna say to you that title, "Have Your Heart Again." You know what this is gonna be about, okay? But it is amazing, right? And first of all, piano, again, love it. Slow and sad. Parker does this kind of weird inflection. Uh, would you call it a, a little falsetto vibe, right? Um, with his voice on each chorus, whenever he sings the, the letter or word I, right? Because I would kiss you like a summer rain and I would shiver when you say my name and I would cling to the bitter end. And each time he does it, he goes, because I. Okay. And I was like, I didn't know he was capable of that, first of all. But second of all, I'm almost like going, are you capable of it recorded in the studio? That's just the cynic in me. I would love to hear it live. I'd love to see you do it live, you know, and, and see how strong and how much the live 
rendition would match the, the the studio version, you know. But the bridge is arguably the best part of that song for me. Um, and I normally hate bridges as well because I'm, you know, it's usually kind of this little section of the song that takes you away in a different melodic direction for a minute, just to build to the final chorus. And um, sometimes that's annoying to the ear, you know what I mean? Because you're just like, just give me more of what I want. But lyrically, it is phenomenal, and you can relate to it as well. Look, have your heart again. You know what it's about just by hearing the title. Okay, it's about an ex, whatever. But the bridge goes. But if I saw you out tonight and you had happy in your eyes. I would smile and let it go, and you would never know. They're plain lyrics, but they are delivered so, so well. So I couldn't sell this song enough to you. I told you about the chorus line because I would kiss you like the summer rain. I actually had the song playing, or I, maybe I was singing it earlier in the house, and my dad says to me, what does that mean, kiss you like the summer rain? I'm like, come on, kiss you like the summer rain? When summer rain falls in your face, you, you know, consider that a kiss? didn't know what I was talking about. Anyway, maybe it was just so out of context, but um, that song is amazing. And then Stuart, the final song on the album is a, is one called Wheel. And this is the last thing I'll say. I've used it as kind of the soundtrack to my most recent, two most recent uh, stories about personal setting personal bests in my Saturday park run, which by the way, I went sub 21 today after going sub 22 for the first time last week. Stuart, I'm very proud of myself. That's a PD, PB, PB. Maybe when you get that as a little drop, but um, yeah, this song Wheel is so anthemic, you know, I kind of felt like it was, uh, oh, I've just closed the, the lyrics. <laughs> I kind of felt like it was a perfect soundtrack for what I was trying to get across. You know, I'm a wheel. I keep on rolling. I just go from town to town. Once that gravel gets to throw good luck slowing me down. Well, I've been high and I've been lonely. I've been lost and I've been found. Baby, you're the only thing that's ever turned me around. Right. And I hear that lyric and I kind of go, so is the girl turning him around to like pull him back? But Actually, I'm kind of taking it as you're the only thing that's turned me around so that I can keep on rolling. And I like yeah. that right now, Stuart. I like that right now. So I'm a wheel. I just keep rolling. And uh, let's just roll into the next Parker album because bloody hell, mate. Epic. Is there a stronger or equally strong radio single as Handle On You or is that the best song on there? Ooh. Well, I would say Will, right off the bat. I would say, yeah, Will, make that your next single, 100%. I think it's the next it's the next best kind of big anthemic, catchy, you know, really vibey song to listen along to and sing along to. Um, but I could totally see songs like uh, Hurricane or Burn It Down being singles. <laughs> Fair enough. But that's that. <laughs> Sorry, some other new music that came out before we, we, we inevitably move on here. Uh Billy Zimmerman's album, kind of highly anticipated album, right? Uh, religiously. And I don't know if it ever made it into a podcast, something I maybe conversed to you, but I guess I was sort of uh, a little bit um, skeptical of what Billy Zimmerman, granted, by the way, that, you know, Rock and a Hard Place came out and Fall in Love came out and they were absolutely incredible songs, right? But I think I was maybe just skeptical of what Billy could teach me about love, right? And so I took a listen to the album, okay? And I got to be honest, start here, Stuart, start with this song. You don't want that smoke. Track number seven. Start at track number seven. <laughs> That's a review. Yeah. To be fair, the title track is number one. All right. And Fallen Love's in there at number six. So I'm not saying to skip yeah. through it all. I'm just saying that that next to the big singles that have already come out, that song is wonderful. And there's a line in there as well that I plucked out. You don't want that smoke. The kind that's in her past. She'll love you till the filter and leave you in the ash. Well, take it second hand from a fool who knows. You think you're just taking a drag. 
but you're playing with the fire that'll burn you if you get too close. You don't want that smoke. How many words relating to smoke are in there? Surely, you know, uh, right. So smoke itself, filter, ash, secondhand, drag, uh, fire. That's good writing. But here's the thing again. You don't even notice the lyrics when they're, oh, upon first listen. You just go, wow, that's a different sound and I want some more of it. And just on the new music front, while we're here, in case you've got any new music news that was going to make it into your news reporting later, Surdy, um, I'm just going to blur about a whole load of stuff here because uh, there has been a ton of other stuff to drop in the last couple of weeks from the likes of Ella Langley, who's coming to support John Party at the Ulster Hall in Belfast. Um, <laughs> also new music from Ernest in there. Took a listen to that song actually earlier. Takes After You. It's a song very kind of family-esque. You know, if he doesn't take after Jesus, I hope he takes after you was the line that literally got in my head and I didn't forget it. Um, anyway, there's, of course, the uh, song Save Me that Jelly Roll has done with Lenny Wilson and did at the ACM Awards. That's come out. Um, of course, there's the one that Luke Combs also did with Ed Sheeran, right? That's come out. And then there's the one that Luke Combs has done with Riley Green, right? The the sort of newer version of Different Round Here. I was kind of in the mindset of, I don't think the song needs it, right? And then I went and took a listen earlier. And for the maybe a good first half of the song, I thought it doesn't need it, still doesn't need it. But then the second half of the song, I was like, okay, it is very, very good. It is very, very good. But to conclude, does one half of a song make me, like, you know, get me over the line? I don't think so. I don't think it needed it. I love Riley Green. See, if you're not that familiar with Riley Green, go and listen to an EP called Valley Road. That is epic. It's all just like slowed down versions of uh, and acoustic versions of his best songs well worth your time anyway um kind of rather them done something new together do you know what i mean anyway morgan wade has a new song out as well sturdy this is probably in your news is it um no it should be but because it's issues announced <laughs> a brand new album psychopath and exactly. it's the title track isn't it it's the title track it's the title track exactly yeah and um and you know what very very morgan vibes i'm not going to say any more than that well, do you think so here but oh i liked it yeah I thought as the lead single and title track from a new project, it was kind of meh. And I also thought the pacing of the song, if and when it hits number one, I'll eat my words. But I think from a female perspective, to be releasing a new single that needs to do something to promote an album, it's not Wilder Days. But also the title. like I, I have almost reservations about maybe saying, like not saying it in the radio because it's, it's just a fact. Like it is what it is. It's the title of her song. It's the title of her album. You know, and there, there will be how many of these tracks will I inevitably end up playing on the radio over here? But, you know, who wants to talk about psychopaths too much, right, <laughs> on the radio? I just wonder, will that hurt her a little bit? Will that hinder her a little bit? I don't know. But, um, yeah, I kind of like the sound of it. I kind of thought it was kind of classic Morgan Wade vibes. No? I stuck it on yesterday and I was sort of, I was waiting for like it to really kick in and it just finished. I mean, listen, I, I think she has a lovely voice, but would I go out of my way to listen to it again? I don't know. I know that we can kind of commentate on how we see fit um, out of the US, right? We're over here in Northern Ireland in the UK and, uh, and you know, we see these artists play down in Ireland as well, down, down south and stuff. And um, I think we have a good grip of what's impacting over here, right? And Morgan Wade had so much momentum for so, so long, right? Like we saw ourselves at the Limelight 2, a venue here in Belfast and sold out room of what, like 450, 500 people, something like that. And it was an epic show. And we interviewed her before and after, actually. I think you did her before maybe, and I and I interviewed her after. That was an interesting experience. <laughs> we we actually followed her. Do you remember we followed her? Because we were in the interview room, both of us beforehand, and then they pushed me until after. Do you remember we got sort of followed her and and her motley crew, her band, out that uh, out of the limelight one door 
and then around into the other side of the, the building and almost onto the stage. Like we were about to take up a position ourselves and start playing guitar and drums. It never crossed my mind, but it makes perfect sense at that venue. Yes, that the dressing rooms are located way at the top of the building, but the only way to actually get on the stage is to walk outside and walk behind the building. <laughs> you can't walk through everybody, isn't that right? Tell Lindsay L that. She did that. All right, okay. Yeah, I'm just now thinking back to Ingrid when Ingrid Andrus played there a couple of weeks ago, and, or a few weeks ago, whatever it was, and what she did. I can't really remember. But uh, just on Morgan Wade... Um, you know, commentating on the on the idea maybe that Morgan has so much momentum for so long, right? And look, it dries up after a while. It does. And things have quietened down. But they've almost quietened down as Lainey Wilson has impacted. And I mean really impacted. So much so. And like and also Lainey hit heights that, that Morgan has not yet reached. Maybe I'm being facetious here or whatever, but like Google that. Um <laughs> but like I don't know. I just do I am I being just a wee bit silly and and thinking that maybe there's only room for one or something and that no. Lainey's kind of the new it girl and Morgan's taking a back seat to that now? I don't know. Like Wilder Days is a great song. And the last album was strong, but hang on. Yeah. I would actually argue that Morgan Wade <clears throat> let me say this first and then I'll give you my logic. I would actually say that Morgan Wade has as many good to great songs as Lenny Wilson does. Because we sat there in the C2C crowd at Dublin listening to Lenny Wilson and going, gosh, she's actually missing a few, she, she is, she is missing a few, few bigger numbers because she didn't, she do like a couple of her, a la Ingrid Andress at the Limelight too, when she did a couple of her numbers back, big, bigger ones back to back. Didn't Lenny do like heart in the truck and wait in the truck back to back or something? And I was kind of going, well, that was a bit of a waste because now you're singing songs that half the crowd doesn't really know, you know? Lenny is just absolutely full of personality. She has people like Luke Combs and I can give you five others just going oh my god like this has been Nashville's best kept secret finally she's getting a platform Wait. she's winning every other award she's got that ass you know what I'm saying <laughs> but Luke endorsed Morgan do you remember like Luke do you remember Luke assembled that kind of all-star cast of like Cody Johnson and Morgan Wade and somebody else that I'm forgetting on that on the, all those bills and there was like there was a show in Denver Colorado and it was that was the start of a big tour he had Morgan and Cody Johnson in that. That was game recognizing game, and that was Luke endorsing Morgan Wade before he even endorsed. Well, I know he goes back with any, but before it felt to the masses that he was endorsing Lenny Wilson. I don't know. Right, I don't agree with this personally, but I'm just going to say this because this is what I'm observing, right? And there's a lot of ignorant people out there, not like me, but I actually think because Morgan, as a female, is covered in tattoos. I think this is going against her and I think it makes her seem more rougher and mm -hmm. it alienates people. And I I'm agree. only going by, if you scroll down her social media, no matter what she does, if she releases a great song or does a great performance, it's there within the comments. Those trolls just tattoos, tattoos, tattoo. You know what I mean? I get that. And actually, I, you know, it's also strange and, and like, forgive me, this isn't my place to comment, but I don't, I feel like, Either her or her team, nobody has set on one image yet. Do you know what I mean? Like one style. Sometimes she like jumps in my feed, right? And I'm like, it's Morgan Wade with the tattoos and you know, whatever. But, and then the next thing it's like, whoa. But there is something to be said for, right? And it shouldn't be this way, but there is something to be said for. And maybe there's a lesson to be learned for all of us. That experience we had of interviewing Morgan Wade, and you can't put that down to her. It's maybe more to do with like miscommunication or management but yeah 
the interview that I was meant to do before the gig was an absolute balls up and it was that was to do with tour manager and the interview then you got you didn't even know at one point if it was going to come off afterwards but Lainey Wilson is an absolute professional and her team are as well and mm -hmm. even if she's been on the road flying doing gig after gig after gig you walk into the room she gives you a hug and she smiles in your face and that is the difference but look this is only us throwing it out there as if it's a thing at all. I'm sure neither of them have thought about it. I'm sure, I don't know, many others maybe haven't thought about it. But, you know, maybe there is something in it at the same time. Morgan Wade really should probably sit on the fringes of like, I don't know, like a paramour or like alternative rock. Or like, I don't necessarily think the country banner or genre actually best suits her personality and her sound. And then you throw in the Sadler Vaden production, right? The guitarist of Jason Isbell, and you're kind of going, well, that's that's Americana. You know, that's a, well, it is whatever you consider it is. I consider it a subgenre of country music. I interviewed Alan Fletcher, Carl Kennedy from Neighbours, right? Mm -hmm. Here's the best thing about that interview right now, I'm going to tell you. He said that country music was a subgenre of Americana. He's an idiot. <laughs> Flipped it on his head. And I never, you know, it got me thinking for a minute until I thought, no. I'm sticking with what I think. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that Americana production. See, if you'd have said to me there, like, Willie Nelson or Chris Stapleton said, but if you're going to use Dr. Carl Kennedy from Neighbours. <laughs> Ramsey Straits Finest, what are you talking about? Calm yourself down, kid. This Zoom call's running out, so we will move well, on. With some... Let me just say, when the, the good doctor recently performed in Belfast in the Black Box, they had a guy called Gary Quinn opening for him. Segway. I love that. I love that. We're going to use that. And then we're going to do a... Stuarty, there I was going to move on with, uh, well, some country charts updates and then into the country music news. But no, you've stopped us at uh, at a little venture of ours midweek, right? Thursday night, I believe. Thursday night uh, on the barge in Belfast. A boat in Belfast, right? Uh, this little cool, quirky music venue. There was an Nashville style in the round gig happening with three artists. Stuart, would you like to tell us some more? Well, let me get their names because I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a guy, a local guy, I think he's originally from Oma, a guy called Gary Quinn, an American guy, Jeremy McComb, very good, and uh, a Canadian guy, Aaron Goodwin. Mm. Uh, yeah, so they did this Nashville um, in the round style night and what would you say was the attendance there maybe there were 50 people there or so ish yeah do you know what i went right with uh well really no expectation because i, I didn't really understand well i, I know what an in the run style night is I've, I've been to been to those before but i suppose i just didn't really look too long at the poster and, and gary had sent us an invite over and then um I was sort of debating it in my head, and then you pop into my inbox with a with a voice message to say, "Here, did you get this thing? What do you think about it?" And then we were there, but um, it was a welcome surprise, and it was uh, genuinely great. It was it was it was it was it was really very good, and uh, I, and I wasn't expecting that at all. It's interesting, you know. You go to see a lot of established country acts, and at some points, the show, by the nature of how hard the gig, it seems a bit like they're just going through the motions. But I like that sort of stripped back thing. I like the fact it gives them more time to talk a bit about the stories behind the songs. Um, Jeremy McComb, in particular, very funny guy. I actually thought, is it Aaron Goodwin? He impressed mm. me the most. I think I 
whispered in your ear at one point. He was reminding me of like early Eric Church just because he had that kind of like gritty snarl at the end of each sentence. But um, yeah. this thought crossed my mind as I was watching it. I was thinking, you know, it's great to do, you know, the rounds and give us all your material. And this is my latest single. This is my first number one. If it was the nitpick, I think you could have enhanced it by at least one of those rounds, maybe picking your favorite song by another artist that was a massive hit and giving us your version of it. Or maybe if you were involved in the writing of a hit for a more established artist, give us that. Mm -hmm. But overall, I thought it was a very enjoyable night and, and a lot better that, than and something that like, you know, it's okay for the, the big... I, feel, I almost feel bad saying that, but we, what we're saying is relative to, expe to our expectations, right? Because we, we just didn't yeah. know what to expect. And... No, I think what we're trying to say is like that kind of singer-songwriter event happens all the time in Nashville. Sporadically, it'll happen in somewhere like London, but it was great to witness it in Belfast. Yeah, amen. and shout out to Chantel and Chris who are in The Rising, right? This UK country music band who uh, were actually working the, the sound and, and helping with the rigging and all of it and setting it up. So um sounded great. It actually really did. Um, but and also Gary really impressed me with two things. Um, his voice is, is more polished than I thought. And number two, he has guitar chops. Whenever he switched it up from doing the kind of slow, sad song, or not even sad song, but like slow, just somber, melancholy vibe of song, right? Whenever he switched it up and he was going a little bit more kind of country bluesy, it was like, whoa, okay, you can play, you can play. Whereas initially you were kind of going, watching Gary and then seeing these other guys, well, especially uh, Aaron Goodwin, right? He was just <laughs> shredding the guitar at times, you know? Um, but so the, the, what I'm trying to say is that like there were surprises across the board. And uh, yeah, I completely agree with the, that guy, Jeremy's storytelling. Um, who else would, who else would tell story, tell a story of what, like a, a a double murder prison ballad song? Right, that was that was kind of wild. In between songs, he was so funny. Like he was funnier than a lot of comedians I've been to see, and yet he talked about how in a previous life he was a, a comedy writer or he wrote comedy songs, mm -hmm. and yet there was no humor within his own material. But. Aaron although, although there was that song at the the end, right? About um, what was her name? I want to say like Backpack Sally or something, but it wasn't that. Oh. Snack, snack, snack Shack, Snack Shack, Katie. Yes, that was great. Snack yeah, that, yeah, that, that, that was so great. the comedy made its way in there. Maybe you know Aaron Goodwin. So he kind of screwed up the words of his first song, and then talked about how like you know he'd been on a flight and he was jet lagged and he was on a train and whatnot. And I sort of thought like, okay, it's gonna go downhill from here. So for me to have walked out thinking, okay, he's the one who impressed me the most. Fair yeah, opinion. right, right, right. Because I was like, this guy is completely drunk. Um, <laughs> Did you think drunk? I just thought like really, well, I thought he was really, tired, really but tired. But like, you know when you're yeah. tired and you have a few drinks, then you're yeah, even yeah. drunker. So I, I don't know. I don't, I've never, I, I don't know. I don't drink myself. But Yeah, I know. <laughs> what are you drinking there? Some Hague Club whiskey because it was on offer in Asda with a little bit of Coca-Cola. Nice, nice. Full fat Coke or what are you, you looking after yourself there? At this point, full fat, John, I've got on the loose. <laughs> I just we'll buy bigger best. clothes. We'll <laughs> Behave yourself. Right. That was Thursday night in Belfast. Uh, shout out to Gary Quinn. Shout out to Aaron Goodwin. And shout out to Jeremy McComb. So, Shirley, should we move on with some uh, country charts updates? Should we do that? I've done that. Now. Yeah, let's, yeah, let's do it. 
Um, so I believe the number one song, uh, as far as country radio goes, well, as far as the media-based chart goes anyway, uh, is Corey Kent, Wild As Her. I think I gave him a follow earlier. I really don't know too much about this guy. Do you know much about this song? I do, only because through my new workplace, we're really backing him. In fact, we've... You know, we've had Wild as Her on A-list and on B-list we've had a song that's not even a single. Something's going to kill me. But anyway, um, I do think he's going to be a big star and uh, I think give him a chance. I think he's... Uh, who would I compare him to even? I don't know, like Travis Denning, but just with more to say. <laughs> I think you once compared Parker McCollum to Travis Denning. Anyway, um, Corey Kent, yeah, there you go. Wild is her. And I'll tell you what, he's clearly very good at the social media. This is my one piece of feedback about him because I went on to his Instagram earlier and I was scrolling for ages just to go back like six, seven days to whenever the song went, number one. Um, um, because there were, there were that many posts as of you know recent days. So the guy works at social media. But looking toward next week, it looks like it's going to be Tyler Hubbard. Dancing in the Country is the number one song. I'll take you dancing in the country. Either that or... Corey has employed some 22-year-old blonde to do a social media forum. But yeah, Tyler Hubbard, uh, he seems to be the real sort of <laughs> former FGL success story. Well, BK's Beach Vibes album, that was, you know, I mean, it mediocre. wasn't Beach Vibes, by the way. What? It was not mediocre. I actually really enjoyed it. It was all right, but... Sunshine State uh, of Mind. I actually was really impressed with it. For somebody whose whose expectations were rock bottom, by the way, thinking that Brian Kelly had a note in his head. That was... Isn't that so funny, though, that, like, you can be part of, like, one of the, the most successful Jews in the history of a Let genre? Let me just stop you right there. One Direction. One Direction. One Direction. I know what you're going to say. One Direction. What do you mean by that? I mean exactly what you're going to say. How you can be part oh, of oh, one of the biggest Jews and not have not be able to sing. Louis Tomlinson cannot no, sing. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is, when there's two of you, and... Clearly, Brian Kelly is a talented guy, but I just see Tyler Hubbard's career completely take off, and Brian Kelly's not. Dan and Shay. Marie and Tay. Daphne and Celeste. Oh, dear. Ooh, stick, ooh, your mama too, and your... What happened to them? Where did they go? The top country airplay, Billboard's country airplay, is Morgan Wallen's Last Night. We're not going to slow down here because the top Billboard's hot country songs is Morgan Wallen's Last Night. 14 weeks at number one, 15 weeks on the chart. And the top Billboard's top country albums chart. We may as well just call this the Morgan Wallen charts, all the Billboard's, because his One Thing at a Time album has spent its 10th week at number one, uh, dominating Morgan Wallen still with her voice. Beyond the the new music that has been released by various artists, um, what cushy little stories or baby news do you have for us this week? Well, John, I think you're forgetting something. Oh, for God's sake, I am. Yeah, I think that's maybe a sign of a good podcast when we forget that there are country music charts in Ireland. And you the UK, which I haven't given you, by the way, yet. Do you want that first? Yeah, please. It's never really often different i'm just pulling it up right now as we speak and i expect it to be and is it yeah morgan wallace last night so okay moving on so it's been uh tap dancing around the fringes of the number one spot for a few weeks well it has been actually since 2001 <laughs> number one is faith hill and there you'll be everywhere I am, there you'll be. <laughs> hang on a second was this not the number one the last time we did a podcast and we were all talking about Pearl Harbor and Josh Hartnett and... Oh, no, wait, hang on. That's not that song. 
is it? It is. There it you is go. That song. Yeah, it is, yeah, isn't yeah. it? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. And we were talking about the love triangle of Ben Affleck and uh, Josh Hartnett and what do you call her? Kate Beckinsale. Well, Pearl Harbor. Great film. And uh, clearly people still aren't over it uh, in Ireland. No, but this is what we're saying. Guys, 2001. This is what we're saying about Ireland. People are slow on the uptake. So Luke Bryan and Peyton Manning are going to be returning this year to co-host the CMA Awards. It's going oh, to be happening again at the mm-hmm. uh, Bridgestone Arena in Nashville on the 8th of November. The pair co-hosted the show last year and drew a three-year ratings high of 9.7 million viewers. Resulting, surely I'm pretty sure, in a 1.79 rating among adults 18 to 49. Yes, I am. Lit. I have the exact same article pulled up as you right now. <laughs> Taste of country. Shout out, taste of country. You blow Do you know, up. I actually, this is the God's honest truth. I actually posted something to Countryline Socials yesterday and copied it word for word for taste of country. And somebody from taste of country commented underneath going, I hope I didn't make any typos. <laughs> like it's some sort of hard hitting journalism. Catch yourself on you bloody father <laughs> merchant. Good God's sake. Is that the Washington Listen. Post here? It's clickbait. So after 23 seasons as a coach on the US version of The Voice, Reba McIntyre is now going to be replacing Blake Shelton on the show. Reba will join fellow coaches John Legend, Niall Horan, and Blake's wife, Gwen Stefani, the hollaback girl. There ain't no hollaback girl. There ain't no hollaback is bananas. B-A-N-A-N-A. Yeah, there you go. Well, whoever's in New England, I'm through with you. Oh, Reba, it's so great to see you again. <laughs> so fresh off the back of, of course, co-hosting the ACM Awards with Garth Brooks, Dolly Parton has now revealed that she's recorded a duet with Lenny Wilson. They've actually done a new version of Mama, He's Crazy, which is going to feature on an upcoming tribute album to the Judds. Hang on a second here. Were we not just talking three-ish, four-ish weeks ago? Well, considering we released an episode every two weeks as of late, it was probably longer ago than that but remember we were talking about like superstar duos or you know team ups collaborations that we could draw up in our heads did we not you know say something about Lainey and Dolly I feel like we did but also and this is only just entering my mind Lainey has been quite quick to joke whenever people talk about her backside about she's like I'm gonna own it I'm gonna wear it because Dolly did the same with her boobs so much coming at you in one collaboration just to change the tone completely. So Jimmy Allen, I mean, we can't ignore this. Jimmy Allen has uh, publicly apologized to his wife, Alexis, through social media for what he terms as an affair after allegations of sexual assault have surfaced against him. A woman identifying herself as Jane Doe has filed a suit against the singer. She did it in Tennessee civil court. She has um, alleged sexual assault, rape and harassment over an 18 month period uh, when she worked as a member of his day-to-day team. So off the back of this, he's been dropped from performing at this year's CMA Fest, and he's been suspended by his record label. So where do you go from here? Well, whatever the truth, uh, I hope um, it comes out, and I hope, uh, you know, justice is served, whatever happens. So um... even if it's not true, and I'm not saying it's not true, I'm just trying to, even if it's not true, though, I don't see a way back for Jimmy Allen. It's it's like... I was just going to finish with, like... I don't know how good Jimmy Allen was in the first place. To come back from... 
I don't even think it's a case though of how good he is. And I think he is talented. But like when you look at his story of like, you know, living in a car for years trying to get a break. And now well, he's had a handful of hits. He's also just heard this year with Carrie Underwood. I almost feel like it's the Morgan Wallen backlash, but this one I don't see any coming back from. But I also think it raises questions about like allegations and like one word against another. Like we are almost condemning this man as guilty before we have seen any evidence whatsoever. But you know what, too? He's been taken off radio. Like I remember the day that that happened to Morgan Wallen and I thought like this guy is never going to come back, particularly in this part of the world, because the people who make those decisions to put him back on will not be involved enough or have enough knowledge of the genre to know once you're off, you're off. There's no coming back. Mm. And what Morgan's managed to do is actually unheard of. So if you're Jimmy Allen and you release a single and it takes a year to chart, even if you're innocent tomorrow, I don't know if you're coming back. Fair point to make, yeah. Okay, surely pretty different direction there to go, but... Um, I think uh, it had to be said. It has to be addressed yeah, because all of yeah. a sudden, Jimmy Allen, you know, he's up there with the Kelsey's and the, like the Brett Eldridge's. So mm-hmm. all of a sudden, he just disappears. And Stuart, uh, well, I suppose maybe just one more piece of news to share. And, uh, well, this is going to inevitably lead into a nice interview here. That news is that Kip Moore is playing in Belfast this Saturday. Do you want to share a few more of the details about the tour and so on? Or Yeah, he's been sort of touring over Europe and the UK over the past few weeks. Real momentum, I'm seeing not only from like his team, I'm seeing from genuine fans out there such buzz and uh, he's really delivering night after night and uh, we've talked at great length before about his relationship with Ireland and Belfast you know I just think you know what he's playing in Belfast is it's an outdoor summer series of concerts and yet there's so much excitement whenever you hit the name Kip Moore even opposed to the other more commercial pop acts I am genuinely quite gutted that I'm missing it, but um, life is to be lived and I have to go, uh, I'm going to a stag do, so I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, but it is what it is, I suppose, which is also a horrendous saying. But uh, yeah, I'll be gutted that I'm missing it. And um, I think maybe we, we were talking recently, somewhat recently with, with well, maybe some people in the know as well. And I don't want to speculate too much here, but um, I think we always thought that Kip would be one of these artists that, you know, rides off into the sunset, right? Uh, with a potential last release, a potential last concert, and you just don't know when it is or what it is or you know when it's going to be. But there might actually be a little bit more legitimacy in this notion. I have read over the past few years articles and interviews that have implied some sort of a progressive issue with his hearing, um, something to do with his ability to hear tone. I also read that he's undergone some surgeries that haven't corrected the issue. So he doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that if he, if he asked him about it, he would ignore it or say, well, I don't want to talk about it. I think he's a very open and honest guy. Well, well I guess we'll see. You've got an interview uh, scheduled with him, surely, yeah, uh, this, this coming weekend. Yeah, this coming Saturday, just before he plays. But I'm keen to, like, off the back of this successful run of shows, obviously tonight as we're recording this podcast, this evening he plays the Royal Albert Hall in London, which is a big milestone. So by the time he hits Belfast, it's the final show of the run. Just to like see, is he absolutely exhausted or is he completely buzzing off what he's seen over the past few weeks? I suspect it'll be the latter, you know. What I'm looking forward to is over the years, you and I have witnessed this guy come over here and play 
the type of rooms that most country artists come over and play and maybe never ever come back and this guy has come back year after year after year and built it to the point now where he's going to play 5,000 people outdoor in Belfast which as a modern American country artist is completely unheard of it's an unbelievable feat absolutely um, can I just throw in uh, we've seen pictures of his set list uh, of his tour so far be thrown around in different country music groups that we're a part of and I don't know if you noticed this as well, but there was, there was no room in any of those set lists for Guitar Man. What's that about? Yeah, this set list does lean heavier into the latest album. We're coming to the end here. We're going to lead into Stuart's conversation with Kip to give you a little taste of the man himself before he lands in Belfast. So Kip, when we last spoke at C2C in Dublin in March of last year, you told me the plans were in the works for you to come back to Belfast. And true to your word, you're playing the Botanic Gardens in the city <laughs> on the 27th of May, yeah. a big outdoor show. You've spoken to me before about, you know, how much you enjoyed the last time you were in Belfast. You played the Ulster Hall in 2019 and you've spoken about the audience being so present and in the moment with you. So you must be buzzing to be coming back this time. You're playing outdoor and there's going to be 5000 people going nuts. Yeah, it's pretty surreal, Stuart. Um, I was in a radio station here in South Africa recently, and the shows here have just been insane. I mean, they've been so amazing, but they were asking me what my favorite place was to play. And I said, you know, um, are you asking me venue? Or are you asking me what group of people did I enjoy playing in front of most? And uh, Belfast was the first place that came to mind. So we're we are super stoked to be coming back. Class. Now, the Saturday before the Belfast show, you're playing the very famous Royal Albert Hall in London. Morgan Wade, Jackson Dean, Stephen Wilson Jr., they're also on the bill. I mean, it's a venue with such a, a rich musical history. And it's really a testament to your talent, your hard work, your consistent effort in coming back and building the fan base that, you know, you can come into London and play the Royal Albert Hall. I couldn't name you many country singers that could do that. Yeah, I think there's only been one other to headline Royal Albert. I think that was Casey. That's my all-time bucket list venue to play. So I'm getting to check off my ultimate bucket list venue. Wow. Now, I mentioned Morgan Wade there, and she obviously featured on a version of your song, If I Was yeah. Your Lover, which you wrote with Matt Bubel. I love that song. Tell me a bit about would you, how it came together and how Morgan became involved in it. If I was your That song came together in a super organic way. It was in the early stages of lockdown. I would say it was the second week of March when everything got locked down. And I would say this was um, June. Matt started playing that opening. Dun, 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 started playing that on the keys. And I just immediately spit that chorus out, you know, in a matter of a couple seconds. And we just started from there. We started from the chorus and wrote backwards and kind of wrote all through the night. That was a pretty awesome organic um, write. And that's the way that I enjoy writing the most. You've just put out a great song. It's very rocky. It's built for the stage. A song called Kind of Bar. I noticed you wrote this with your good buddy, Dan Couch. 
I can visualize the crowd in Belfast losing their minds to this. Cannabar is one of those things where, you know, I'll just be straight up. You know, most of this record that's coming out is a very, there is a lot of, um, a lot of deep digging lyrically um, throughout the record coming. It's a very uh, introspective, um, introspective, self-analytical record. Um, and it's a deep record. And Cannabar is pretty much the only one on the whole thing that's just kind of, you know, it was simply me and Dan Couch riding by this old water hole. Um, and we just both said, man, boy, it looks like there's some cold beer in that place. And, uh, <laughs> man, he just said, that's my kind of bar. And then I immediately started singing the chorus. And, uh, that was all like tongue in cheek for fun. There was nothing meant to be groundbreaking about it. You know, a lot like truck, you know, truck was just a good time, right? I was, I wasn't trying to say anything super thought provoking it was just a fun jam and um you know that's how we, that's what we did with kind of bar so the new album's called damn love it's coming on the 28th of april tell me about the title track it's got that um oh it's you almost know. got like a u2 feel to it Do you know that there's been a lot of rock and roll throughout my whole career? You know, I think that bleeds throughout, you know, bleeds through my veins for sure. And it comes out in the music, but I think you're going to get a lot of those elements on this record. And I think that the title track was just more of, it kind of encompassed what the whole record was about, you know? And I think that, you know, there's a reason that love is written about as much as it is, because I think that it, it is the, the epicenter of what we're all wanting to give and receive, you know? And I think that that's why that's such a, can be such a euphoric thing in your life and it can also be such a devastating thing in your life. That's why it's so important because it makes us feel so powerful one way or the other. Yeah. I love this story that you were in Alaska and you were in your trailer playing a song on the guitar and Ashley McBride pops in, puts her hand on the head of the guitar, asks if she can sing that with you. And now this is a collaboration on the album, a song called One Heartbeat. Yeah, it's um a song that I that I wrote solo in Maui. Um I wrote a lot of this record in Maui, but you know, it was one of those things where I just I think the world of Ashley as a person, as an artist. And we were doing some gigs together in Alaska and we were both just kind of jamming in this trailer and she asked me to play her something that I'd written recently and so I started playing one heartbeat after the first course. Mm -hmm. She was just like, Can I sing on this? this with you and I was you know I absolutely you can so it was just that whole thing was a very organic thing too that happened you know it wasn't like a really me seeking Ashley out and but that's who I would have wanted to sing on it so it was perfect you've co-produced this album with Jaron Johnson of the Cadillac 3 tell me a bit about that collaborative process because he's an interesting character I mean track record speaks for itself you both seem to be on the exact same wavelength we got separated at birth, I think. Uh, I love that guy so much. And he was such a joy to do this record with. What a creative guy. Um, and he was so good at helping me stretch certain things melodically. Um, and he really, uh, you know, we, we really searched for a lot of interesting sounds. And he worked his butt off on this thing. Um, we both love so many of the same records. We both were 
influenced so much by rock and roll, mm-hmm. but then we loved so many of the elements of country, you know, and I've been, I've loved the lyrical aspect of country for the longest time. And I feel like I've always kind of leaned a little more on rock and roll melodies. I feel like I've always been, I've gravitated to those country lyrics and I've, but I've leaned on rock and roll melodies because I've always liked to jump octaves and do crazy things like that. So he gets that about me and he's not scared to go there with me. What comes first for you? Is it lyrics or music or does it depend? Man, Stu, it's all different. I will say this, this record, I definitely wrote a little different. I feel like than most, I think about probably 75% of this record, 10 of the tracks was born from a lot of times I'll have like a line in my head or I'll have a little melody or I'll have a little guitar riff. And then I kind of put that down and then I try to see what that's saying to me. But so much of this record showed itself to me as a full composition um, where I could hear the verse, chorus, bridge, melody, all at the same time. I could hear all the counter melodies happening musically. I could hear the whole body of work. So I would write in one whole scene with no instruments, usually just walking around the streets without a guitar or whatever. Wrote one of them walking through downtown Park City, wrote a, a song called Another Night in Knoxville, which is one of my favorites ever. But the first thing I was hearing was the and then I would sing out the drum part. And so it was just kind of putting it all together right there on the spot. And then I would go back and learn how to play the certain parts, you know, and then you could communicate better with a band in a room. Okay. So you touched on it earlier. Um, you've just played some shows in Australia. I love that photograph of you on stage drinking the beer out of the boot. I think it's called a shoey. It's such a yeah. class image. Yeah, and yeah. you've been playing some shows where you are at the minute, South Africa. I know you just did a huge stadium show in Pretoria. Did you ever think your music would travel this far? You know, it was definitely something that I put out into the universe. Obviously, I'm blown away too. Um, I had no idea that there was such uh the fans had latched on to my record so tight here um it's really a special thing it is truly just i got a really fortunate guy that owned a radio station here that nobody is above him that's the beauty of it he's not controlled by anyone so he could play whatever he wants and he started playing my deep b-sides you know he started you know heart's desire was the first one he played here which is an album track on wild ones and it's the biggest song here wow um it's, it's this mega famous song here and I had no clue. Um, songs like that, songs like Hey Old Lover, um, Guitar Man, he started playing this B-side tracks with all the meat on the bone and he's the one that has created this whole thing here. It's a really, really cool thing. It shows you like, you know, there's so much emphasis these days on streaming, but radio's still extremely powerful, isn't it, you know? Yeah, it's still super powerful, um, you know, and I think that also, you know, I think that there's a discovery. The fans feel a sense that they can discover stuff, you know, so I think that, that was, that's what was cool about it because the guy was, like I said, he's playing B-sides. He's not even playing, you know, like the songs that are big for me everywhere else. Some of those aren't even big here. It's just a bunch of B-side tracks that I have. Can I ask you about a song on the last album, Wild World, which I keep going back to, Fire and Flame. So you wrote this with uh, Carrie Barlow, Brett James and Will Weatherly. You talked a bit about your writing process, which I find fascinating. It's almost like the music flows through you. But I believe this one came to you in a dream. I guess I'm stuck out in the middle. Because I got this reckless heart that I can't take. Just when I... 
I've had a few that come to me in a dream. Um, Janie Blue, Fire and Flame, um, Crazy One More Time, and Heart's Desire. Fire and Flame is one that I, I woke up here in the opening riff and the opening melody and open, you know, the, the few verses. And then I was trying to piece together the chorus as it, as it, as it came. Wow. Okay. So I mentioned Brett James because about five years ago, he came to Belfast to play this CMA songwriters event with uh, Natalie Hemby and Nicole Gallion. And after he was putting his guitar away in the case and I had a few drinks, I had enough courage to go over and speak to him. And he was kind of surprised that I wanted to talk about you. He was more like, do you not want to talk about Carrie Underwood or Kenny Chesney? And I love that. But we were talking about you and he referred to you as like his younger brother. Tell me about, um, you know, because he would have obviously produced your first album and co-produced the second with Chris Stefano. How important was he in the early days in making things happen for you? Uh, Brett's the reason that I'm sitting here talking to you. Mm -hmm. I really uh, believe that. I was kind of at the end of my rope. Brett was someone that, that heard me play a few songs in a songwriter round and, and got me over to his house and, and just flat out told me, you know, he says, I think you're a star and I think you've got a unique way of saying things and, and I want to help you hone that craft. And I think we can, you know, we can reach the mountaintop together. And, um, I signed, you know, a publishing deal with him and yeah, I love that guy so much. I mean, he, he really stuck his neck out for me. And even when people were like, nah, it's too rock and roll. It's too this, it's too that. He just kept saying, we're going to ride this train until we, you know, get to where we're going. So he, he stuck with me and uh, yeah, I owe everything to Brett. I recently went back to your very first album and there's, um, you know, what, like 11 years ago now. So there's a noticeable difference in the sound of your voice. And yeah. it's funny, it's you know, strong. this is what I'm going to say to you. It's like, there's so many singers where the voice gets weaker and maybe a bit of wear and tear, but yours has got, it's like a muscle. It's got stronger and there's so much character in there. Have you always looked after it or is it just luck? I got to be honest. I don't do anything for it. Um, but, you know, I do sing two and a half hour shows, which, you know, I would think would, you know, wear it down. But, you know, Stu, Stu I'll be honest, man. I don't um, it's it's interesting how this makes some people uncomfortable because I certainly don't mean it to be that way. But that is something that I've prayed about a lot. And I believe a lot of that is a divine intervention for me. I, I, that's just how I feel. I've just prayed to, you know, make it as strong as it can be and hold it up through all these shows that I do. Cause I've just been headlining for the last four years. So it's, but you know, even my engineer that's done all my records, except the first one. And he turned around after I finished this last record that you haven't heard yet, which you'll hear soon. He just said, I don't, I've never seen this. I've never seen a voice this far into it get this much stronger. The, the the takes of the width of my vocal tracks are so much bigger than they used to be. And they're even bigger on this new one than they were on the Wild World record, which I felt like I was singing the best I'd ever sang at that point. But I definitely feel like it's I've got another gear now. I mean, I'm singing in keys that I that I was never able to sing in before. My range has gotten even higher. You know, when it comes to listening to music in your own personal time, who out there today makes you want to push and who who do you enjoy listening to? Or do you find yourself listening to older stuff more? No, no, no. I, you know, I love a lot of old stuff, obviously, but I listen to a lot of World on Drugs. Um, Tim Paula. I love Sam Fender. I really enjoy his records. He's somebody that I would I would want to I'd want to do some shows with at some point. And I, and I never say that. I never, ever say that. But I would I would enjoy doing some shows with that guy. Wow. 
Listen, Kip, um, I appreciate you giving me some time. And, you know, I can't tell you how much excitement and anticipation there is out there for this return to Belfast and obviously for us to get our ears on the new record. We're looking forward to it, buddy. Well, that's just about it for episode 25 of Free Ramble Men, a country music podcast. 25 episodes in, surely. I've had a blast. You've had a blast. Until next time, what are we going to do? We're just going to keep on rambling free down that road of country music, which is filled with trials and tribulations. And oh, look, there's a McDonald's. <laughs> <laughs>